entering the Freedom Hut. There's big trouble in Chicago, plus Axios, the website, stands for activism and not journalism. CrossFit gets canceled. Ruth Bader Ginsburg calls out flag kneeling. Would New York actually be better off with no mayor and a new Bill and Ted movie? Could it be real? Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We won't be defunding our police. We won't be dismantling our police. We won't be disbanding our police. We won't be ending our police force in a city. I guess you might have some cities that want to try, but it's going to be very, uh, very sad situation if they did, because uh, people aren't going to be protected. These people do a tremendous job of protecting citizens of our country, and that's what that's what they're paid for. But whether they were paid or not, that's what they do. And, you know, somebody put it very beautifully before where they said they protect people, risk their own lives for people they've never seen before. People, in many cases, they don't know. You're protecting the lives of people you don't know. And it's uh, it's an incredible thing. It's a great honor to be with you all. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump making it clear that at least as far as he is concerned, there will no there will not be a defunding of police we are not going to go down that road of of insanity not without a fight at least it's good to hear that the leader of the free world the commander-in-chief understands exactly what we are up against now that this narrative of defunding the police they'll keep shifting it depending on what the needs are at any given moment one day it will be no no i mean actually cut the police budgets entirely the next day it'll be well just move some of the funding around to some social justice causes. I've seen other people are picking up now on what I had said, uh, whatever it was now, two days ago, law and order, social service workers. uh, That's not going to be the best show you've ever seen. It's not going to work out. It's not going to work out very well for those social workers. That's not going to happen. Not going to be good. And all of this claim, uh, all these claims that we should have police disarmed as if that would make things inherently better. In fact, if you disarm police, anyone who knows anything about police tactics will understand that the likelihood of having to use exactly some of the force in order to subdue someone. Remember, if you're the first if you're the cop on the street, you're the first on the scene. Yeah, you can call for backup, but you're going to have to handle the situation that arises. And if you try to arrest somebody for drunken disorderly and you don't have a gun, uh, guess what can end up happening? You may be in a position where they come at you with what you think is is a a threat to your life and you, one, don't have the ability to respond appropriately Two, you also in using, uh, you know, not having some of these additional force escalation procedures in place, the ability to escalate force. You know, maybe you're going to go for that chokehold or something because you're really scared because it's you or this person who is coming after you. And I know now in New York, they passed a law to make chokeholds illegal, uh, just now passing more and more restrictions on cops. Cops are the first ones to get called out. I, I saw the thing the president tweeted about Buffalo. I, I, you know, this president, it's so hard for me because I feel like he he's doing so much and gets so little help. All the all you see from the press 
is insanely negative stuff about him and they're completely unfair and everything he says about them being fake news is true. But was this, uh, you know, was this necessary right now? Because now we get a whole news cycle focused on what Trump said about a protester in Buffalo who got pushed by cops who have now been uh, suspended and charged and criminally charged. Another cop, I think, here in New York has been charged. So now they're they're charging cops with, with criminal assault. And you've got to remember that that now is going to factor through it in the thinking of law enforcement across the country when they're trying to determine how much force they can use in different circumstances. Uh, and people will say, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? But like, yeah, but this is a, it's an imperfect world. When someone is coming at you, you know, what, what, what are you supposed to do when someone's throwing a rock at you? You're supposed to just sit there and take it? Are you supposed to be able to tackle the person? How do you tackle them? I mean, there is all this police training that goes into it. But at some level, this is one human being trying to physically subdue another. And really, a part of this should be don't do things that make cops have to rescue you to the ground and fight you. That, that, that is a conversation worth having as a society. Right. Whether you're a protester or just somebody else. A lot of people go through life without ever having to be wrestled to the ground by police. And most people who are arrested know when the cop says you're under arrest. All right. You put your hands behind your back. You go to the station and that's it. You know, resisting arrest leads to so much of this. But we can't even can't even talk about resisting arrest right now. I can't even have that discussion. People say, oh, you're justifying police violence. No, no one likes bad cops. No one likes police brutality. Because everybody understands what that means for them in their day to day lives. It means that there's the possibility that they themselves could be. And people say this doesn't happen to white people are lying or just ignorant, don't know anything. It does. Police brutality happens to white people. Uh, it happens to people of all race. It happens to Latinos. You know, you, you don't hear a lot about that either, are you? It's just go for in this movement the, the slogans and the claims that have the maximum psychological and emotional impact to divide us and to mobilize the left. They claim they want to fix things. They don't want to fix things. They want to use this. They want to exacerbate the situation and then mobilize against their perceived political enemies. They being the left and the Democratic Party. Whether, you know, we've seen this. Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street, Antifa, all these different political entities that have come up in the last decade or so and it's just it always becomes the same thing a vessel you know the 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 tip of the spear for the broader left to push its agenda that's what's happening now we see this we see this and i know they claim to be so in favor of the powerless meanwhile and i'll get to some of these stories over the course of the show today meanwhile you have members of congress taking a knee, Democrat members of Congress, taking a knee in subservience or perhaps solidarity with this group. You have all of corporate America just falling over itself to show that they support the movement. What does the movement even really stand for? Uh, But it's very similar to climate change. Do you believe in climate change? Yes. Well, then you have to accept all these other policies and ideas that I put forward. Do, do Do you accept... The Green New Deal. Well, no. Well, I thought you said you believed in climate change. The same idea is present here with, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you support black lives? Of course. Everyone supports black lives. To, to do anything but that would be deeply immoral and disgraceful. Well, then you must also support defunding cops, disarming cops, 
uh, federalizing law enforcement, which how is that going to make things better? Look at what we've seen from the FBI recently. But you better support all that stuff, too, right? No, I, I don't support all of those other policy decisions. I thought you said you support black lives. This is how they do it. And so on the one hand, you're not really able, it's not really possible for you to oppose the movement without subjecting yourself to the worst kinds of attacks and smears and, and the politics of personal destruction. And you, so, you, so you have to go along with it and you have to go along with all of it. And you have the people that are a part of the movement feel incredibly self-righteous about it all because the moment that they're challenged on a policy issue, hey, defunding cops is really stupid. It's, well, I'm here because I support black lives. Therefore, I, I always have the moral high ground. No matter what I want, no matter what I, I tell you you have to do, kneel, bow, wash my feet, do whatever I say as a leftist, as a lib, no matter what I claim, if you push back, I can always retreat to, I'm just here to support black lives. Why do you have a problem with that? And you say, well, but that's it. Your whole argument here is, is highly dishonest. Oh, but it's the left. Of course, the argument's dishonest. It's all meant to force you to do things that you don't want to do and to do things that you think are bad for society, to force you to not only be silent, but to support them. That's the big part about bending the knee. It's not enough to stand by and allow people to have their free speech rights. It's not enough to stand by and be neutral to this whole debate. You must comply. You must comply. You, you have no choice but to agree with them or else you are bad. That's the way this is all constructed. That's the purpose of the rhetoric, of the approach. And it's very powerful. There's a reason that all the, all the major corporations... I mean, you know, you look at America, where is the opposition to this movement coming from? It's, it's not from the, the major institutions and even members of the Republican Party. Don't even get me started on Mitt Romney. I'm, look, I know that I think I could still say he was a better choice than Barack Obama at the time, but I, it doesn't matter. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I voted for Mitt Romney. I'm embarrassed. And this guy's walking around. Oh, yeah, Mitt Romney cares so much about the minority community that he feels compelled to march in solidarity with Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with Mitt Romney feeling like he's just the greatest guy in the world. The virtue signaling, you can choke on it. Oh, Mitt. Such a, such a disappointment. Mitt is a disappointment. Marco Rubio is a disappointment. Now I don't understand why there was such outrage among GOP, uh, among the GOP circles, because when Trump came in, th these people were exposed. And all of a sudden you realize that it was really about them. And this is true of a lot of right wing conservative media. And it's true of a lot of politicians. And some of them have fallen in line a bit. But for a lot of them, it was really all about ego and all about them. But back, back to the Black Lives Matter movement. There is a, a transcript and audio. You can hear the audio of it. Of a phone call in Chicago which just had its most violent 24-hour period ever. There is a transcript of this phone call that is, uh, and, by, and if you want to know how many, how many people are killed, I mean, do dozens of people are shot, uh, people are killed, and the transcript of this phone call shows you that you're not being told how devastating these riots 
how devastating this movement has been, not just to cities in general, but specifically to minority neighborhoods, specifically to areas of cities where there are people working, trying to get ahead, who are trying to do the right thing, black and Hispanic-owned businesses, and they're being burned down, destroyed. People have nowhere to shop. People have nowhere to go. They don't feel safe. And these are African-Americans in cities like Chicago who are in a terrible situation because some small percentage of the American population has decided to take it upon themselves to riot and loot and destroy. And where is the Democratic Party on this? Pushing the narrative. They push the narrative while good people, black people, white people, all people, they push the narrative of Black Lives Matter while people suffer, while actual human beings are suffering from what has been done in weeks now of riots and protests. I'll, I'll take you through this conversation that happened in Chicago. It, it's stunning. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. My ward is a blank show. I can't actually say what this alderman in the city of Chicago said on this tape from WTTW News. But this was eye opening and people are looking at it, hearing it. They can read the transcript. You can hear the audio online, too, of this phone call and saying, why isn't this a bigger? Why isn't every news network in the country? covering what is happening to the third or wait no i think it's the fourth largest is houston larger than chicago producer mark i think it's close but one of the largest cities top five chicago the windy city chicago named for chicago which means stinky onion because in fact there was a stinky form of plant found by the river where the city of chicago currently is true story actually and i believe it comes from a uh, it's Algonquin, I think, if my Native American history is correct. It does not mean the good land. That's Milwaukee, as we learned from Wayne's World. OK, back to Chicago and back to this news story. Did uh, producer Mark, I was trying to give you time to find out. Yes, it, Chicago is third behind uh, New York and L.A. Thank you. Chicago is third. I like to get the facts correct here. OK, Chicago's third largest city in the country. An alderman is effectively, it's just a fancy way of saying a city council person. I mean, you know, alderman, city council, same thing. 50, mem- 50 aldermen, 50 members of Chicago city council are on this call with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And they talk about how, and this was on Sunday, May 31st. So this was right after some of the worst protests that happened. That day alone, according to, to CBS, uh, CBS Chicago here, there were... 699 arrests, almost all of them looters, 132 officers injured, 48 shootings, and 17 homicides. 17 murders one day. That's a lot. You don't need me to tell you that. I mean, you just extrapolate that. What if you had 17 murders in the city of Chicago size every day for a year? It would be, I mean, it'd be the most violent place on earth by far. It'd be worse than really even some of the worst times in uh, Ciudad Juarez. Some of you may have seen in depictions in film and Juarez for a while on the U.S.-Mexico border because of the drug cartels there was on a per capita basis the highest homicide rate in the world. 
It was a terrifying place. Um, but and Yon Grillo, who has covered the cartels for many years, decades down in Mexico, wrote a book in which he said that when you crunch the math on it and an assassination in Juarez about uh, a decade or so ago when things were really, really bad. You're looking at 2000, well, 2007, 2008, uh, an assassination cost less than $100. That's what that's what a hitman would be paid. Anyway, Juarez, a horribly scary place back then. I'm sure it's still not particularly safe now, but I haven't checked on it recently. Uh, Chicago sounds pretty darn terrifying, too. Um, Lightfoot, the mayor, said that this was a massive, said that what happened was a massive, massive problem. And she described rioters as just F-word-ing lawless right now. Quote, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen blank like this before. Not in Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot said. Uh, you, you go through this transcript and it is it is truly jaw-dropping i mean the the write-up on wttw news of it is is um it's you read this you say how, how is this how is this not filtered out it's with 50 city council members you know why because they're all democrats because they're all democrats and if you speak out and say that these riots were horrific and damaging and destroyed businesses and destroyed quality of life in minority in predominantly black communities in the city of Chicago. That interferes with Nancy Pelosi taking a knee. I'm so, I'm so woke. It interferes with the narrative. So you can't do that. But finally, some actual reporting. You know, occasionally local news, and this is what you see happening. So local news is still sometimes putting journalism be sometimes we'll put journalism before politics just because not because they are so ethical but because they'll have a story that's so big and they know i mean i've never even heard of wttw news before and I, i'm in the news business right it's a local chicago station but they got such a big story that they have to run with it because there's dollars and cents attached to this one i mean this is getting their name out there all across the country why haven't we heard about this this was what almost a week and a half ago why haven't we heard about this before? Oh, I'll tell you why. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we have the audio for you of this call among the aldermen. There are 50 wards, which are like districts, in the city of Chicago. I know a little bit about this. There was a good show years ago called Boss with Kelsey Grammer that did a lot of Chicago politics stuff. Um, and I will tell you, I've actually, producer Mark, I've never, I've never really been to the city of Chicago. I went once for a day and didn't get to see anything and was just there to give a speech. So I got to spend more time in the Windy City. But this is, I, this audio, you, you got to hear it. So Lori Lightfoot is the mayor. And she's speaking to members of the city council. And this is right after the, the looting and the riots and things that happened. And I would note that, you know, New York got a lot of attention because things here with, with the looting was, were really bad last week. Uh, last Monday, uh, you know, eight days ago, the looting was terrible. And uh, the riots that have happened here in New York were appalling. And there's some, been some bad stuff in D.C. But I'm going to tell you, right, and, and Minneapolis clearly had whole areas, you know, buildings burned down, the police station burned down. Chicago didn't get much attention in this, and I think we're starting to see why. Tough to make the case that this is all about justice, especially justice for black Americans. When they're burning down businesses or destroying and looting businesses 
that are staples of black neighborhoods where people get their food, where people get their medication. Where do they go now? That's a question that these aldermen are asking. Let me, there's a lot of finger pointing here. They're all Democrats, too. This is, and you see, the problem that we're, we're seeing out in the open now that we have before is that Democrats ruin cities, ruin them. They've ruined Baltimore. They've ruined Detroit. They have ruined city after city. You know, Newark is in terrible shape. Democrats. I mean, find me. St. Louis, mostly Democrat, I think. Terrible shape. I mean, find me a place where there have been these riots, there's been this looting, and I'll find you Democrats in charge. Because they think that if only they tax, that they tax the productive class a bit more, and if only they cut back on police, if only they tell police to stop doing so much aggressive policing, things will get better. We ran the experiment in New York in the 90s. Aggressive Effective, targeted policing brings investment into a city, raises real estate prices, and most importantly of all, and you won't hear this from the media, those cops, whether it's here at the NYPD or cops in cities across the country, when they're doing their jobs well and they're bringing murder and rape rates down, they are literally saving lives. They are preventing enormous amounts of pain and misery and despair, which overwhelmingly and predominantly is concentrated in black neighborhoods of major cities. Where is most of the... I know the stats for New York very well. I don't mean to keep focusing on this place, but this is where I am. And I can tell you that a vast majority, upwards of 90% of the homicides occur in neighborhoods that are almost entirely black and Hispanic. So when the cops bring the murder rate down, they are saving the lives of black, and in the case of New York, Latino Americans. I mean, looking at this example, they're saving the lives of the people who are trying to provide for their kids, who are trying to show up to work and do their part and be productive. They're trying to take care of our fellow Americans. That's what cops are doing by doing their jobs. This idea that in cities where there are tens of thousands of robberies and hundreds of murders and thousands of sexual assaults and rapes, everything's going to get better if we just, you know, cut the cops in half, cut their salaries way down, cut the numbers way down, less policing, and then people will respond. No, the bad guys are still going to be the bad guys, even with fewer cops. We learned this lesson in the 70s and in the 80s. We learned it. We've run the experiment, but liberals want to go back. They want to go back. But it's not really surprising. They still think that communism is a good idea, right? They still want to get us back to socialism. They look around the world and they take all the wrong lessons from history. This is why I think liberalism really is a, a form of mental illness or a delusion or something. I don't know what we should call it. Trump derangement syndrome certainly should be classified as a mental illness because it definitely exists. So I, I, I bring you now um, the actual audio from this, and I'm going to play it and sort of stop and jump in at some points. But this is the, the leaked WTTW uh, local news station got this audio of a phone call with Lori Lightfoot and all. And remember, she is most famous from the lockdown, perhaps, for saying that, you know, she needed to get a haircut because she's public facing for the city of Chicago. But other people can't get haircuts. Classic, classic liberal moment there, right? Of course, the left, hypocrisy. 
But just listen to some of this. And I, 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 there may be some language on here so that you'll, you'll hear some bleeps. But listen to how this goes. We can't expect our police, and I don't fault them at all, to be able to control this. But I know that we asked our faith base yesterday to stand at the front line between police and looters and rioters. And I am simply not comfortable telling my churches, those people, to be the intermediary in the middle of a riot that's citywide. We need something better because right now we only have 370 whatever National Guards on standby. Half our neighborhoods are already obliterated. It's too late. We have to come up with a better plan because once my fear is once we're there done looting and rioting and whatever's going to happen tonight, God help us. What happens when they start going after residents, going into the neighborhoods? Once they start trying to break down people's doors, where they think they got something, or you know, we know that people are here to antagonize and incite, and you've got them all pumped tonight. Today, they're not going to go to bed at eight o'clock. They're going to turn their focus in the neighborhood. I've got gangbangers with AK-47s walking around right now. Just I've got gangbangers with AK-47s walking around right now in the Democrat stronghold of Chicago that has banned guns, effectively. But the gangbangers can get AKs. Now, is it really an AK? Does he know the difference? Probably not. But, you know, long guns of some kind, and they're not carrying around, you know, double-barrel 20 gauges to go clay pigeon shooting. I can assure you of that. But this guy is freaked out. He is scared about what's happening. This is an alderman. This is like the city council member. Oh, but I, I checked also. Um... Do you know how many Republicans there are on the 50-seat Chicago City Council? Zero. Not one. Not one Republican in the, uh, in the Chicago City Council. There are six Democratic Socialists of America seats that were won in uh, 20... I think it was in 2019. This is the Aldermanic elections, they call it. Uh, so you have... Socialists and Democrats entirely in charge. There was one lone Republican, but he has switched to being an independent now. This is unified and total Democrat control. And it is a in the aftermath of these riots. It felt like a Mad Max style dystopia, just like so many other Democrat strongholds do. And this man says this is what's going on here. Here's the the mayor's going to respond at some point. Let's hear it. Waiting to set up some scores. What are we going to do and what do we tell our residents other than good faith people stand up? It's not going to be enough. Thank you, Alderman. Next question. Well, no, I want an answer. I bet you. It was real quick. Just so you caught it. The mayor jumped in there to say thanks. Next. That's what the mayor did. OK, the mayor of Chicago is being told by somebody who represents a district and, you know, all, I keep saying alderman, but it's too... I don't know why Chicago, it's some historic thing where they have the alderman system. But anyway, why, why they represent a city district of Chicago. Uh, this guy represents the city district, and he's, and he's a Democrat. Might even be a socialist. And he's saying, hey, look, this is crazy what's going on in my area. What are we going to do? We can't... Co- cops can't control this. And the mayor goes, next question. That's it. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. This is a question that I have. I think you're 100% full of shit, that's what I think. If you think we want to... No offense, you then. 
need to check your attitude. That's what you need to do. Right now? No. You need to check your attitude. I'm just wondering, do you get any sense in the media that there was this kind of dissent among Democrats where you've got a member of the city council in the third largest city in this country dropping F-bombs at the, you know, I mean, really getting really getting into it with the mayor. I mean, I kind of wish some people in the city council here would do that to de Blasio, but because people are outraged because their neighborhoods are destroyed. And there's no help coming from City Hall. There's uh, Lori Lightfoot wasn't getting it done. Meanwhile, the Chicago City Council's Black Caucus, according to WTTW, was criticizing Lightfoot for using 375 members of the Illinois National Guard to block off the Central Business District. So they then said that the South and West Sides, which have large African-American populations and generally have a lot more crime, were a, quote, easy target for looters and criminals. So essentially they were calling out Lori Lightfoot, who's an African-American female. They're calling her out and saying, you use the National Guard to protect like the fancy business district and our black majority neighborhoods, in many cases, were just destroyed. And she says, of course, that that's not true and that's really bad. I mean, this whole conversation, she said, we've been working our 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 ass off, I think I can say that on radio, all over the city. And she's basically saying, what do you want me to do about this? I mean, that goes on. The conference call goes on for quite a while. Lightfoot here said a crowd of 30 to 40 people gathered outside a clothing store and on Michigan Avenue as a, quote, dude with a sledgehammer, end quote, broke into the store to allow it to be looted. I don't know about you, Lightfoot said, but I haven't seen blank like this before, not in Chicago. It, it, it's it's absolutely incredible that this that no one talked about this. Sadlowski Garza said, my ward is a blank show. They are shooting at the police. I've never seen the likes of this. I'm scared. These are the politicians elected to protect the city of Chicago. They're basically having a mental breakdown together while the mayor is like cursing and freaking out at people. This is a massive, massive problem, Mayor Lightfoot said. People are just blanking lawless right now. Sadlowski Garza wept as she told Lightfoot new businesses had been destroyed while other shops were being protected by owners with guns. Oh, wow, you mean people with Second Amendment rights can actually defend themselves effectively against riots and looting? I wonder why that didn't make the top of the CNN News ticker. Lightfoot told Lopez he was 100% full of blank. Well, blank you, Lopez responded. Uh, Mayor, you need to check your blanking attitude. I, I, I mean, this is, it's amazing. They're worried, they talk here about being worried about, about people becoming vigilantes. Uh, they're, they're also saying, and this is another part of this, that they don't really, they don't really uh, make any, effort to tell us about in the in the in the news media overall and that is that there are huge concerns about what happened to these neighborhoods here's one remember they're all democrats not a single republican on this whole city council so this is all democrats talking to each other one said quote i feel like i'm at ground zero my major business district is shattered why would walmart walmart or cvs come back to our communities 
It's like the wild, wild west out there. Whew. Yeah. No, 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 no shock there, folks. Why would Walmart or CVS come back in after their stores have been looted and burned out? Why, why, why would they? They're making business decisions. But, you know, you know who relies on those stores? People, particularly elderly people. You know, there are elderly black Americans in some of these and, and all Americans. But we're all, we're focused on the, what this means for the minority community, at least in the media narrative. Right. That's what this is. Black Lives Matter. That's what this is all about. You have elderly black Americans who have no way of getting food because their stores are gone, can't get medication. And I'm not, this is what the city council members are saying. And the businesses aren't coming back. Why should they come back? But you didn't hear about, you didn't hear about any of this, did you? No, no, it was all, oh, what did Trump tweet this morning? Can we make that into a big news story? Not the complete disarray and ineptitude and the absurd incompetence of the entirely Democrat-controlled city of Chicago and the infighting that did not lead to anyone speaking out to the press, of course, because got got to protect the left, got to protect the party, the infighting over the clear inability to protect their neighborhoods and to do what they were supposed to do for their constituents. Protecting people's lives and property is step one of governance, right? Didn't happen here. It's a scandal, and it's one that you almost didn't hear about. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Anytime you hear a slogan being articulated by activists who are seeking uh, an end that could probably inspire a lot of common folks, you can be sure that Donald Trump is going to try to weaponize that slogan. He tried to weaponize Black Lives Matter. He tried to weaponize a Green New Deal. And he's trying to weaponize these. But again, listen to the activists, the spirit of what they're calling to, a society that invests in human well-being, therefore not necessitating as much of an investment in police departments. Don't listen to their words. Listen to their spirit. Yes, this is former Democrat presidential candidate Cory Booker. Don't don't listen to the things they say. Feel their energy. Because otherwise you're weaponizing. Weaponizing words in this case means listening to what the activists say and believing that that's what they are saying. (laughs) This is amazing. It's like this. This old joke about Republicans pounce, you know, anytime Democrats do anything, anything that's terrible, you know, oh, ma- major, major scandal with the Democrat member of the you know, House of Representatives. Republicans pounce is the headline. It's always Republicans pounce. Uh, this is that's like this weaponizing. No, defund police is stupid. And now the Democratic Party is like, uh, how do we how do we maneuver with this one now? You let the activists run your party. You let the crazy people make the decisions. Guess what? You got to defend crazy. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't support defunding the police. And I, I had a big meeting with, you know, 80 plus leaders from around my district this past weekend. And, you know, the a lot of the African-American leaders were saying, listen, it's not about just straight defunding the police. It's about having a conversation about how resources are spent, how people are held or not held accountable, um, how we have oversight over that process. That's what I think people are asking for. That's what I think this bill actually speaks to. Um, it doesn't defund the police. It doesn't yank money away from anybody. But it does say, like, we have to grapple with what is more than just isolated incidents. Um, and I think, you know, I'm a CIA analyst. If you've got three data points, that makes a trend. And we've got way, way beyond three data points on this conversation. So let's have it. Let's have some uncomfortable moments. Um, it's not defunding, but it is questioning how resources are spent. Well, I'm a CIA analyst, too. Listen, that's a whole bunch of bull crap. <laughs> what a joke. Oh, yeah. Three three data points makes a trend. Um, that depends. Is it three in 10 million data points? Because what we're talking about right now is aberrant behavior involving lethal force from law enforcement in the tens of millions of arrests that happen every single year. Uh, but but I, I love oh, my gosh, the sophistry. It's amazing, isn't it? You almost want to respect it. I mean, it's disreputable and disgraceful, but you almost want to respect it because it's so brazen. Defund the police doesn't mean defund the police. Like Abolish ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, doesn't mean abolish ICE. Believe all women doesn't mean believe all women. Stop libs. I got news for you. Dems, listen up. Stop saying things that you do not mean because you get caught up in emotions and want to mobilize your base and then normal people that you do need to vote for you who are not brainwashed say, hold on a second, that's crazy. That, that's really, the problem is not Republicans' palates. I love that Cory Booker thing. Donald Trump is going to weaponize this. He's going to weaponize this? What does that even mean? He's just talking about what you're saying you want to do. But this is the Democrat Party today. It's, oh, we have the answer. We are the good people. We are the righteous ones. This is what you do. That's what we should do. Defund the police. That's insane. You can't. You can, that's going to destroy society. Literally destroy society. It'll be gone. What we think of as America will no longer exist if we do. Well, we're not saying defund police. We're just saying rethink about the priorities of the funding that goes into policing. I got an idea. How about call it budget cuts? Now, you might say, hold on a second, Buck. Wouldn't that have the same effect? Oh, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Why? Why won't they call it budget cuts? Because if you're willing to cut the police budget and say that that's bloated, if you're willing to look at the public sector union that represents cops and say that that's too powerful and unaccountable what does that mean for municipal employees? What does that mean for teachers unions? What does that mean for all these other rock solid, necessary Democrat constituencies and important centers of power and voter turnout for the Democrat Party? Is the argument they're going to make, especially given the possibility of austerity that, that a lot of these cities face because the Tax revenue is way down because of the unnecessary and psychotically ill-thought-out shutdown, right? 
But because of that, there's going to be all these big budget shortfalls. So how do you make up for it? Oh, the only municipal service, the, the only place where there can be budget cuts is the cops. No, they have to have a budget cut. Mm, no, that's what that's what Republicans want, isn't it? Maybe they want to cut everything other than the cops, but they do want to cut back on services. You know, why is why is New York State so and it's true. It's true of uh, Illinois as well. I mean, we were just talking about Chicago in the last hour. Wasn't that amazing stuff, by the way? Talking about Chicago in the last hour. Why is New York? Why is Chicago? Uh, well, Illinois, the state of uh, the state that Chicago is in, in such terrible shape from a budgetary sp- perspective, running you know, billions and billions of dollars into debt with each passing year? Well, it's because of two things, Medicaid and public sector unions and pension benefits. That's what, that's what drives the debt, those two things. So, okay, where are we going to cut? Ah, budget cuts, huh? They're not going to like that very much, are they? That's why it's defund the police. And it also gets the activists all fired up. So, yeah, we're going to get rid of the cops. I mean, but we all know that's we all know that's crazy, right? Well, not everyone knows that's crazy. There are some people out there who really think it's a good idea. Minneapolis's city council has voted to defund police. Here is what uh, you have the uh, the Minneapolis Police Department. This was posed to a city to city council leaders. What happens if you if you really dismantle, if you go forward with this and get rid of the Minneapolis Police Department that Ilhan Omar just yesterday was saying is rotten to the core? That's a quote. Rotten to the core. All right. So I guess you got to get rid of this, right? If it's a cancer, as all, as other Democrats are calling police forces, too. I mean, the things they're saying are so horrifying. And, and I just as a quick aside here, I know there's a lot of law enforcement folks out there, including family members of law enforcement, a lot of law enforcement. I just I'm going to keep saying it. Thank you. I know you're not hearing this from a lot of places. There are some other conservatives out there who will say this as well. But you need to hear it. Thank you for doing what you do. You know, I was on the street last night walking my, you know, second trimester pregnant sister home uh, to make sure that she was safe. And I got to tell you, it was sketchy on the streets of New York City right now. And there are a lot of I mean, there was a guy who was basically rolling around on the ground almost entirely naked on the on a street in midtown Manhattan. I mean, I don't even want to tell you what I think he was doing as I walked past. I mean, that's what's going on here in the city. And it's because of what has been done to our cops in this city. It's because of de Blasio and the Democrats and their pandering and their stupidity and their childishness. That I'm walking home and I'm thinking, you know, I I, my safety and security and the safety and security of my little sister, that's in my hands. And it angers me. That I'm not allowed to, especially as I'm walking the streets at night or, you know, they've got all these curfews and things happening. You've got roving mobs going through the streets, looting and rioting and attacking people. Why aren't I allowed to open carry a firearm? No, no. If the NYPD saw me, somebody who was trained at the CIA, trained at the farm, which you probably know what that is, uh, to use weapons in defense of myself and and the furtherance of my mission for, for this country. If I tried to open carry a firearm, I would get sent to prison for years. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go into prison. I'm, I'm spending at least two, maybe three, maybe four years in Rikers Island prison because I'm a bad guy, you see. But anybody that ever talks to the cops, they'll tell you on the, 
the West Indian Day Parade here in New York that happens every year, one of the big problems they have is not just gunfire up in the air, and people forget that what goes up must come down, but automatic weapons fire, particularly located in Brooklyn, New York, automatic weapons. So the bad guys, the criminals, the people that are going to carry, you know, a machine gun around on a rooftop and fire it off in the air, not worrying about where those bullets are going to land, I might add, they can get guns. And, you know, hey, you know, no, what, what can you say? But I, I can't defend myself. I'm not allowed. I'm not just not allowed. I mean, I, I will go to prison if I had an illegal firearm in New York City. And they would think that's justice. De Blasio would say, yeah, you know, we, we're keeping people safe by uh, making sure that uh, this guy that served his country in two war zones and worked for the NYPD trying to stop terrorists from blowing up our subways and buildings, you know, him carrying a weapon to defend himself, is uh, that's, that makes everybody less safe. Only a moron could believe this. But in New York, in Chicago, and in so many other cities across the country, the morons are in charge. They really are, and they have been for a long time. And Democrats aren't figuring this stuff out. It's just so much more important to them to vote for people that are like, oh, we care so much about the poor. Do they make poverty better? If Democrats were curing poverty, if Democrats were helping people uh, do better in life, better health outcomes, better educational outcomes, more intact families. Oh, don't talk about families. Oh, not allowed. Not allowed to talk about intact families as a means of dealing with poverty, even though every social scientist who has to look at data and, and has real data to work with will say intact family is a huge indicator in favor of uh, someone's future, meaning the kids that grow up in intact families are going to have better outcomes, you know, nine times out of 10 compared to everything. All other things being equal with somebody that's in a broken family. So but they can't talk about that. No, no. We have to just pretend that Democrats, because they say they care and because they want to take from you, the rich. Oh, you know, you and your husband or you and your wife have a combined household income of, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in a in a major U.S. city. Ooh, we're going to have we're going to tax you. That seems like a lot of money. I mean, in, in, in most U.S. cities, most major U.S. cities, that's for a two person household. That's not a lot of money, but you'll get taxed pretty heavily on it. That's for sure. Uh, and then we have the morons in charge and what they're saying in the Minneapolis City Council about this. When they're asked the question, what happens when you get rid of the police force? In just a second, I will play for you their answer, which you really need to hear. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If you did need someone to respond with a gun, if this is a question that you keep hearing, who would be responsible if you did need someone to respond with a gun? If there was an individual or a group of people simply going out there and killing other citizens for no reason at all, who would be responsible to go out there and try to stop it? Well, in my mind, well, and as it stands right now today, we still have the Minneapolis Police Department, and that will be their responsibility to address those on those issues. So, Lisa, you agree? Absolutely, yes. They're defunding the Minneapolis Police Department. It's rotten to the core, Ilhan Omar says, but they also are going to make sure that it's there in case there's a need for it. Well, which one is it? Someone's out on the street with a gun shooting people. Mass shootings happen, as we know. Much more often than that, criminal shootings, you know, meaning uh, you know, drug criminal related shootings, 
happened. That's the most that's the most likely cause of, of gun violence in the country. And if you have to call the cops, what do you do? Oh, we're, we'll call the cops. Well, hold on a second. I, I thought that calling the cops could make things worse. You have that other city council member from Minnesota, from Minneapolis, saying that if you call the cops, it could actually make things more dangerous. So so which is it? Do you need the cops or are the cops bad? Got to get rid of them. Oh, the Democrats can't really come up with an answer, can they? Not really sure. But then when you push them and you say, well, what are you really trying to achieve? Because defund cops is a clear goal that we can talk about. It's dumb. It's crazy. But it's a clear goal that we can discuss. It shows you the Democratic Party is completely out of its mind and does not live in reality. And it's just really a collection of a lot of emotions from people that are not particularly stable, don't know history and don't really live in the real world. But okay, that's the Democratic Party. But when you when you push on the one thing that they've brought up, that is a clear, uh, a clear goal. And they're talking about, oh, end end qualified immunity. Okay, is that going to stop a guy from, you know, putting too much force on the neck of an individual and strangling him as a cop? No. And and ending qualified immunity also means the lawsuits, the cops. Who's going to want to be a cop? It sounds great to say this. Oh, end qualified immunity. Okay, so cops can all be sued personally for what they do on the job by anybody. You really think anyone really think that no one even thinks these things through. They just say them. We get the libertarians showing up, libertarians who are, you know, just hoping they still get invited to the hipster parties in Brooklyn. Those are the libertarians that I know. They're like, I'm not really I'm not I'm not right wing, man. I'm a libertarian. Thanks. Pot's already basically legal, guys. You won that one. I I don't really know what else you're adding to the conversation for the most part. I'm just going to say it. Uh, But. These things that, you, that they bring up as, oh, this would make everything so much better. You look at this and you say, um, no, I don't know that that would make things so much better, actually. And getting rid of mandatory minimums. Oh, that sounds good. Get rid of mandatory minimums. Do you know why they have mandatory minimums? Because left wing judges were saying, yeah, you know, so what? You know, you, you were found with a whole bunch of drugs and a loaded firearm and you're part of a drug gang that has executed other people, other rivals. But, you know. You had a really rough childhood, so no jail time for you. That's why we have mandatory minimums, because judges were 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 abusing their discretion. And this goes back to when crime was really bad in America. They're abusing their discretion, the 70s, the 80s, into the 90s, because we were told because the academy and the intelligentsia and the media was, oh, crime is a social construct and it's because of all of us. No. No, we all have bad days. We all get angry. We all wish things were easier. We all wish we had more. But we don't we don't commit crimes. Right. First step of not having a bad incident with law enforcement. This is this is a fact is is don't violate the law. Now, that doesn't mean that just by not violating the law, you won't be in a situation where you have to interact with law enforcement and that they won't be overly aggressive, threatening, step out of line. I know that happens, too. But if we're really trying to prevent these things from happening, we have to discuss this from all angles. And, and take common sense. Common sense is in short supply these days. But so you, you challenge the left on defund police. Now, now we're weaponizing it because we, we take them at their word. We believe what they say. Now we're weaponizing defund police. OK, isn't that interesting? And then you have beyond that uh, the return to the vague demand 
like this, for example, Representative Stacey Plaskett. Play clip three. Um, I think when you know members of Congress and have conversations with them, you can begin to have those conversations um, that would cause them uh, to begin to move towards supporting legislation that they know, many of them know, is necessary. Unfortunately, Eugene, one of the things that we have to remember is that we as members of Congress are not physically there during this pandemic. And so the kinds of discussion, the kinds of negotiation that would take place between members and members is going to be more difficult. And for that, we're once again also calling on the American people in your protest, remembering to go. This is a call of action to all people to go and talk to your members of Congress to demand that they co-sponsor this bill to demand that they vote yes on it, and as well going to the senators in your state to press them to be a part of this movement to dismantle racism in this country. Dismantle racism. How do, how do we achieve that exactly? How would we get there? Oh, it's by passing a Democrat bill. Notice how this very quickly, it's been, what, about uh, a week and change? And it's gone from... Police violence is this horrible thing. And if you don't agree with us, you're a terrible person. And you all have to a thousand times a day say what happened to George Floyd was terrible, even though we all already agree that it was terrible. So why do we have to say it a thousand times a day? We went from that to, well, if you oppose racism, you have to agree with Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Democrat Party and pass this huge bill and give them all these things that they want. Oh, you mean that this is really about political mobilization? I thought this was about ending Police violence. Oh, by giving Democrats agenda items that they want, even though it is, remember, Democrats in control of these cities, of the police forces. It is Democrat mayors. It is Democrat police commissioners. It is Democrat city councils. They're making all the calls that affect law enforcement in these places that we're told is so bad. But we need a federal bill now? More government control, more government action. That's going to be from the people that messed it up in the first place. That's going to fix it. No, it's not. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're here today with common sense solutions to hold at, at least at the federal level to hold police accountable. But we know this is an issue. That is not just at the federal level. It is at the state and local level as well. But we are here today to say in our position as leaders in our federal government that reform and change must happen and it must happen now. And let's be clear, reforming policing is in the best interest of all Americans. It is literally in the best interest of all Americans, because this is a basic matter of fairness. And as so many have said, justice. Okay, that sounds good, right? Kind of. I mean, at least it sounds good. Well, I'm about to dig into the details. Reforming policing. Good for all Americans. Yeah, sure. How? How? What have we learned? What has changed between now and two weeks ago that there is an urgency now in the reforming of policing. I I would just want to know. The uh, House Judiciary Committee has this out. The Justice in Policing Act of 2020 prohibits federal, state, and local law enforcement from racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling and mandates training on racial, religious, and discriminatory uh, profiling for law enforcement. Oh, 
okay, we're going to have more, you know, diversity and inclusion and don't discriminate training. That's going to somehow prevent one in a million cops from strangling somebody when they should be using a different tactic. That's going to be the game changer. If we have anti-discrimination training that already exists in law enforcement. (sighs) It's um, it's amazing to watch this play out. It bans chokeholds, carotid. This is the Justice in Policing Act of 2020. Bans chokeholds, carotid holds and no knock warrants at the federal level. Um, okay, well, let's let's go into this for a second, shall we? Let, let's really dig into the details for a moment, because I'll tell you what's really going on here. Pelosi said this too. play clip, uh, play clip 12, please. We cannot settle for anything less than transformative structural change, which is why the Justice in Policing Act will remove barriers to prosecuting police misconduct and covering damages by addressing the quality immunity doctrine. It will end to will demilitarize the police by limiting the transfer of military weaponry to state and local police departments. It will combat police brutality by requiring body and dashboard cameras, banning chokeholds, no-knock warrants in drug cases, and end racial profiling. Uh, we'll, stop, uh, we'll finally make lynching, Mr. Hoyer, a federal hate crime. Okay, let's, let's go into this for a moment, shall we? The details here, because you, you hear this, you say, oh, wow, the, the Democrats. The, the Democrats in Congress have this plan, right? The Black Lives Matter movement Got everything going here. And now the Democrats, they, they kind of, you know, they take the they take the ball here. They take the baton away and they say, OK, well, now we're going to be the ones, the Democrats in Congress, the elected officials. We're going to be the ones to make the call here. OK, well, let's let's look at this for a moment, shall we? Um, prohibits local uh, law enforcement from discrimination. That's already illegal. So we're going to let's pass another law to make another make something illegal. That's already illegal. OK, fine. Uh, bans, chokeholds, carotid holds, and no-knock warrants. Okay, no-knock warrants. This is one you'll get a lot of attention on. Uh, people have been focused on this because occasionally a no-knock warrant, they go into the wrong house, there's a, a scuffle, and law enforcement officer discharges his weapon and kills the wrong person. That does rarely, but that does happen. Uh, but here's the problem with, no, with getting rid of no-knock warrants. Uh, the, probably the most dangerous group of people that law enforcement has to has to deal with on a regular basis are drug dealers that drug uh, and you see this a lot where they talk about nonviolent drug crimes because they'll say oh well this person pleaded guilty to possession with intent to distribute and they're a nonviolent yeah well were, were they part of a a drug gang that was maintaining their territory their turf by threats of violence by shooting at rivals by you know, but the easiest provable charge was this federal statute for possession with intent to distribute, you know, methamphetamine or and when you look at opioids, uh, they're killing people. That's not that's not recreational drug use. O- opioids are killing people to the tune of about 60 to 70 thousand deaths a year. Look at how much more focus there is from the media. There are there were nine unarmed African-Americans killed by cops last year. There were 70,000 people of all colors, creeds, races, and origins who died from opioid overdoses last year. Now, I understand these are not the same issue. I get all that. But if you just look at the media focus and coverage on these things, when was the last time you heard them talking about opioid overdoses? 
drug gangs that are selling those, uh, they're selling heroin, they're selling opioids to people, are putting them at lethal risk. The fentanyl that is often marked to look like prescription pills when it is not, and it's made in drug labs by cartels in Mexico and sold here by street gangs, that's killing people. You take one pill, you could die. One pill, you can die from it. So to, to call this nonviolent is to effectively wipe away the risk to the lives of the people taking this, this unregulated and often uh, possibly lethal drug. But no-knock, well, let's get back to no-knock warrants. Um, you have now the most dangerous people that law enforcement usually has to interact with are going to be drug dealers because they are armed, they are facing long prison sentences, and they are engaged in consistent criminality. So now when you're going to go to a drug stash house, now you get to be the cop who's there, you know, knock, knock, knock. Open up, we're coming in. Person who might have several fully automatic weapons on hand to protect their large drug stash. Do you want to be that cop? Okay, hold on. We're going to keep knocking. Can you please... I. I it sounds like you might be loading a magazine into a weapon, but, but that's illegal. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, you better not be doing that. Knock, knock, knock. Do you want to be... Do you want your, a loved one of yours to be that cop who's going through that door now? Now, should there be an adjustment to the threshold for what gets a no-knock warrant? Should they, be, should they have greater scrutiny? But to just federally say no such thing as a no-knock warrant, oh, okay. Let's, let's give, you know, a cartel hitmen a little extra time to reach for their weapons or to run out the back door or to get rid of their stash. Right? So it's so easy to say, oh, just get rid of this. But the, the people that are coming up with this, they're not, they're not law enforcement experts. They just don't like law enforcement. Uh, what else do we have here? Mandates the use of dashboard cameras and body cameras for federal offices and requires state and local law enforcement. So body cameras for everybody. I have a problem with this, except uh, the body cam situation is, is a question of funding. But look, I'm not going to say everything. See, I'm not a Democrat. I don't see everything they want to do. OK, I, I actually think body cams are good for cops. Uh, body cameras show that when, you know, when someone claims there have been incidents where someone has claimed, I think there was a woman it was in Texas, claimed that she was raped. She was sexually assaulted by a cop. Thank God he had a body cam on and they had surveillance cams the whole time. There it was it was actually impossible for her to have been in any way sexually assaulted. She lied about a cop, tried to ruin his life. A body cam saved them. So there I'm not opposed to body cams. I, you know, fine. OK, um, it's a it's a funding issue for local law enforcement. So maybe we have to increase the funding on that one. What else do we have here? Uh, requires state and local law enforcement agencies to report use of force data disaggregated by race, sex, disability, religion, age. Um, so does that mean they're not allowed to uh, to have use of force data based on sex, race, disability, religion, age? I, I'd be curious to dig into the details of that a little bit, but that's not going to, how is that going to stop? If you don't know anything about the people that they're using force against, why are you less likely to use force or how is that going to solve the problem? Not clear to me at all. Establishes a Department of Justice task force to coordinate the investigation, prosecution and enforcement of federal, state, and local government in cases related to law enforcement misconduct. I mean, establishing a DOJ task force, the DOJ already does this. Civil Rights Division can do this, other parts. Of, so this is, this is bureaucratically shuffling. It doesn't really 
doesn't really do anything, uh, not, nothing particularly important. But again, they, they need more bullet points. They need action. So they're not just screaming, you know, whose streets are streets? Establishes public safety innovation grants for community-based organizations to create local commissions and task forces to help communities reimagine, develop concrete, just, and equitable public safety approaches. You know what this is? Funding community organizers in advance of national elections. That's what this is. You all know it. Well, they're going to come up with some great way to keep communities safe. There's some, there's some idea they have out there that no one's thought of yet. But if you just give money, give some federal block grants to community organizers, that's, that's going to make things better. That's a joke. But again, this is just doling money out now to favored constituencies of the Democrats. That's what they're going to do. Amends federal criminal statute from a willfulness to a recklessness standard to identify and, and prosecute police misconduct. OK, um, you know, I, I think reckless. I think that's fair. I think recklessness could be uh, could be the standard for police misconduct. But we better be very clear in what we what we establish as recklessness. And remember, the Democrats are never going to give the tie to law enforcement here. So, you know, the devil also uh, the, the, the devil is very much in the details with a lot of this stuff. But I, I look at all this and I tell you, this is not going to eliminate the less than a dozen people a year who are African-American who are killed by law enforcement. This is not going to change a thing. So you can look at this and say, oh, well, this is what. We, OK, these are these are minor shifts. This doesn't address the over seventy five hundred black Americans who were killed last year. This doesn't make law enforcement more effective. It, this doesn't this does not really address a problem in a way that we should all be sitting around patting ourselves on the back. If anything, this is just this is this is really just minor window dressing or counterproductive. And that's what we're having all this, you know, all the riots. And, the, you know, if we did this, you think Democrats would say, yeah, meaning if the Trump administration, the Republicans went along with it, you think Democrats would say, yeah, we have a partner in this now. No. Then there'd be another series of demands and then another series of demands. Meanwhile, cities aren't getting safer. People aren't feeling like law enforcement is better positioned to protect them and protect their property and protect their rights. So what are we really what is this really? It's you know, it's essentially the Democrat version, the Democrat congressional version of a lot of noise and virtue signaling. But that's what they're offering up now. So, see, I actually read the details of it. And that's where we are. Not going to make people safer. Not going to save communities. It's just all for show. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This is a great story of the hypocrisy that we see from Democrats all the time. I, I really like you're going to like this one. Uh, you had in the L.A. Uh, in the L.A. area recently, you know, the L.A. City Council President Nuri Martinez filed a motion last week. This is according to the uh, Spectrum News affiliate in Los Angeles. Filed a motion last week to cut one hundred and fifty million dollars from the LAPD budget. While she was filing that motion to cut a lot of the LAPD's budget, you know who was outside her home in Los Angeles? Two police officers who were being paid as part of a security detail to guard her home. So a member of the city council now needs round-the-clock security detail while she is telling the residents of Los Angeles... Oh, guess what? You have a whole lot less police presence coming your way. People have called this out. And uh, yeah, indeed, uh, the, the director of the Los Angeles Police Protective League, 
which is the LAPD union, said it's kind of ironic. Here she is demanding $150 million be reallocated from the police budget, but she has security at her house provided by the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, I mean, my friends, what else do you really have to know here? Oh, you, you know what the, the tab has been? She's had security at her home since April, around the clock. It has cost the taxpayer $100,000 in a few months. That's what it's cost in overtime and to, to assign these officers. A hundred grand of special security protection for this member of the city council. She's a, she's a member of a city council in a district entirely just controlled by and run by Democrats. She's a Democrat. What, she had some, like, mean right-wing Twitter, uh, Twitter trolls come after her? That's, that's what the justification is for this? Man, apparently the NYPD should give me 24-7 protection, too, because I got crazy libs saying all kinds of psycho stuff to me constantly. But this is what it is. This is the expectation that we should all have. They will try to uh, defund you. I'm sorry, defund the police and leave leave you to your own your own devices, your own security precautions, while not allowing you to take the real precaution of arming yourself, which is the first thing I would do if I lived in a place that wasn't a Second Amendment free zone. Um, and they themselves will make sure. And this is true of all the big multimillionaire news anchors you see. They themselves will make that clear. They themselves uh, will make sure that they have security. They will have security. They will be fine. Uh, Kaylee McEnany, by the way, is doing a great job. My old friend over at uh, the White House. We go back to our, our days being two of the only conservative commentators at CNN who were not complete wimps. Uh, but here she is speaking a very basic truth that set the media just into a, into a flurry of outrage. Oh, my gosh. Play clip 13, Mark. Our police are described as the blue line in American society between peace and chaos, between order and anarchy. And that thin blue line has done quite a bit. Just looking at 2018 numbers, um, murder arrests 11,970, robbery arrests 88,130, aggravated assault 395,800, violent crime arrests 495,900. That's police officers who are doing the arresting. You eliminate police officers, um, you will have chaos, crime, and anarchy in the streets, and that's something that's unacceptable to the president. Does anyone disagree with that? No, but now they're changing their stance. Now they're saying, oh, no, no, we're Democrats. We're, we're, we're not going to be that insane. We won't do that. That's too, that's too much for us. It's uh, amazing to see this happen, but it's not surprising at all. It's not surprising at all that it took a couple of days here for people to come forward and say, hold on a minute. Uh, if you defund cops, you're going to have anarchy in the streets. You're going to have more violence. The minority communities that the Democrats claim to want to support and protect. Those communities will be the worst affected by the reduction in police presence. They'll be the ones that have the greatest difficulties as a result of all of this, uh, because that's where you have a. Uh, concentration, a disproportionate concentration of crime in urban centers. So how is this helping? It? Oh, it's not helping. It. it helps the Democrats, helps their lust for power, which always explains really ultimately what the Democrats are up to.
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports in the news again. You got cancel culture, you got wokeness, and you got the return of some professional athletics. All things that I wanted to get to today. And because, as you all know, I am not exactly Mr. Professional Sports. We're bringing somebody who is Boston radio legend and host of his own podcast. Now, Jerry Callahan from the Boston area joins us once again. Jerry, good to have you back. Hey, Buck. Good to be with you, my friend. So, you know, I've been giving Drew Brees a hard time. Who And I feel that Drew Brees seems like a great American. What he said was patriotic. Producer Mark tells me he's one of the best QBs, perhaps of yes. all time. Yes. And he seems like a really good dude. And he's now apologized. I don't know if we're up to 15 or 20 apologies or what it is today. But his wife is apologizing in the groveling. Now, is this just because the guy, if he wants to continue to be in the NFL, he's got no choice? And what do you make of this? I, well, it was very disappointing because he didn't. I mean, let's start with this, uh, Buck. He didn't say anything offensive. He didn't say anything for which he should have to apologize. I mean, yep. he just said he kind of gave his stock answer to the question about players kneeling. You know, he doesn't kneel. He loves his country. He respects his grandfathers who's fought in, the, in World War II. So he didn't say anything wrong. I mean, it just wasn't woke enough in this day and age. So they came after him. And you're right, man. He's a, been above reproach. I think the number that he, the money's given to a charity in New Orleans is like 30, 35 million He's got an impeccable record, just one of the best stand-up guys, family guy, you know, good Christian man. And they came after him hard. The reason he started apologizing, I think, is the teammates. You know, he's got some really important teammates that he couldn't lose. Alvin Kamara, the running back, Michael Thomas, uh, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. These guys were upset. I think he could have survived if, you know, other guys or media people were were, uh, mad at him. He could have lived with that, but he had to reconcile with the teammates and he did and as you know once you apologize they you know it's not like they stopped coming at you he, they kept coming and he, I, I think you might not get this but maybe producer mark will it he, it he reached a new low he actually had to make a personal phone call to shannon sharp who's one of the biggest clowns on on tv and had to call him and uh, apologize to him personally because shannon sharp thought Drew Brees should have been kicked out of the league for what he said. So that's you know, no yeah, it's, and you're right. The it's wife t- apologized, the kids, I mean, the whole, the whole family's apologized. It's tough with, tough with Drew Brees. You know, I mean, he has an immaculate record. Some guys don't trust an immaculate record. I do, though, Jerry, because I have an immaculate record, so there's that. <laughs> and, and I, I want to also just get your take on Roger Goodell and – the fact that now he seems to be endorsing, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mentioned this top of the show, the far left Supreme Court justice icon to the left has said, no, kneeling during the anthem is disrespectful. Actually, <laughs> she said this. I was actually pretty surprised, but I guess she figures, you know, what are they really going to do to her? Right. So just, they need they need her more than any. They need her more than any NFL player. They need her more than any any sports league. And they know that. So they're not going to do anything. But, you know, you got Goodell now coming forward and saying that effectively, you know, kneeling is great. Go ahead and kneel during the anthem. I, I think if people do this, Jerry, the NFL could be in trouble. I mean, look, I'm not going to watch after they kneel. I'm not going to do it. 
Well, the NFL can survive anything. I mean, the NFL is the only sport, the only league that really matters. I mean, let's be honest. The NBA guys are going to do it. LeBron's going to wear his I Can't Breathe t-shirt. They're going to be kneeling in the protest. And baseball, you know, who cares? Someone will kneel, I'm sure. Football, all eyes will be on football. It'll start in September, and there'll be guys kneeling, I mean, on every team, you know, every week. It's going to be a big deal. Trump will go at them. Goodell will have to defend them. Um... I think it's gotten kind of scary for, for Goodell because if you saw that video in audio, I think you played it, where he is groveling. He's not on his knees, but he's close. And he's apologizing for the way he handled it in the past and apologizing for past sins for the league. And I'm telling you, look, he's thinking about taking a knee himself. He he feels that you know, threatened, intimidated by the you know the Kaepernick movement that I'm I wouldn't be surprised if one week he got on the field held hands with some players and took a knee then you will see you know a real division among fans and and, and you know it'll be Trump on one side it'll be you know Kaepernick on the other and it'll be it, it, like it was three years ago times you know a hundred it's gonna get wild we're speaking to Jerry Callahan of Boston radio fame and also now host of the Jerry Callahan podcast, which you should all listen to highly endorsed by producer Mark. I might add producer Mark, a big fan, Jerry. So I, I, I wanted to, uh, Oh no, for real. Uh, I wanted to uh, also get your take here on just sports journalism in general. You know, right now the New York times has gone on this, this wokeness purge and they got rid of their op-ed editor. And, and, and we look at this and, and I've been saying for a while that, Journalism. People need to just understand that these are warring propaganda factions, really, and right. it's almost all dominated by the left, and there's very little that's allowed to give an alternative point of view. But then I have some friends, I know some people, I keep it quiet, that I know in the, in the ESPN and, and Fox Sports worlds, and it sounds like they're also, like, like wokeness, if you can't be Drew Brees and speak honestly about patriotism and respect for the flag i got to assume a sports journalist who wants to keep his job at espn or her job is going to have to say that's right we're all kneeling now yes uh, you, you couldn't be more right it's i mean espn's the most woke place it, it, it's worse than you know msnbc espn they you know, they they had kaepernick's back three years ago and they have doubled down now they will be, uh, I mean, they were criticizing Breeze. Any player, I mean, you're not going to hear any player speak honestly on this subject or any subject going forward after they saw what they did to Breeze. I mean, nobody's safe. You will not hear any guys talk about, you know, loving their country. Or, right, yeah. You know, if Drew Breeze can't do it, I'm assuming that the third string tight end or whatever is probably not going to be, <laughs> he's not going to be making a big thing of it. No, and I'm telling you, this is a message to them. And you're right. I mean, we know journalism's dead. I've heard you, and I've said it too. This is, I think, as as clear a sign as anything. The, when they got rid of the editorial page editor at the New York Times for running a column by a sitting U.S. senator, Harvard grad, and uh, war hero, can't have any of that. So they get rid of him, and that's again sending the message to everybody. But you're going to see, ESPN has a bunch of shows, a bunch of hosts who think. You know that, that all the players should kneel. That you know all cops are are, are bad, and uh, you know and, and and they hate the evil orange man as much as anybody. So you're going to see a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, that that is absolutely for sure. Speaking of Jerry Callahan, check out his podcast, guys. The Jerry Callahan 
show where he talks about a whole range of issues, politics, sports, culture, you name it. Um, just just give me some updates here, Jerry, you know, because I do want I, I, we don't have time to get into the lockdowns really right now. I've been a big critic of the across the board lockdown approach and just the lack of transparency and honesty. And, and now what we see with the, the protests can end social distancing, but, you know, fr- uh, funerals couldn't for loved ones and everything else. So we've seen all the hypocrisy and all the craziness. But in, I do want sports to come back, one, for entertainment value for myself, but also just in general, it feels like that's a big sign of normalcy for the country. Right. Uh, where, where are we right now with NBA and NHL and, and the NFL? Where, where are they in terms of coming uh, back when and... That's a good question. They're all still negotiating. Baseball looks like the one that's in trouble. They have not agreed, you know, the prorated salaries, and the union has dug in their heels. And I think it's it's baseball is going to take the biggest hit. It was already struggling. It was already losing losing eyeballs, and and, and kids weren't really interested. I think it's going to take the biggest hit. The NBA, I don't know what they're doing. They're talking about playing now until October and then stopping and starting again in, I don't know, January or something. It's all, uh, I, I don't know, it's all being negotiated as we speak. But as I said before, I feel like football, if football starts on time, Buck, like college and pro, you're right. That is such a sign of we're back to, you know, this is America and we're back to doing what we do, you know, watching football. In And, and I think they'll do it with, I mean, I've been saying it for a couple of months, doing it with uh, crowds of, I don't know, 20,000 maybe, 25 in a 75-seat stadium, 75,000-seat stadium, something like that, just as, you know, it to show that they that they care about social distancing, but they but they really don't. Right. I think the Trump rally is going to be the first sign that, you know, country's roaring back whenever that is later this month. And then, you know, when football camp begins at the end of July, beginning of August, will be another good sign and uh i just before let you go jerry i i used to watch a lot of the nba and i used to go to a lot of knicks games here here in new york but it was back in the 90s and i've watched this show that i've been recommending to everybody it's actually an espn docu- uh, documentary on the it's called the last dance about the yeah. about the bulls in the 90s and that team was basketball just uh, was was the NBA just a better league then with better stories or do you, you know is, is that is that just nostalgia talking for mine because I, I feel like today no. the NBA it's like a three point shooting contest where everyone's six foot ten and nobody cares what team they play for and it just feels like it's it's just not a good product to me mm-hmm. but I'm, I mean you know how, how do you how do you gauge now versus then back in the nineties with the Bulls the Knicks the Pistons etc. And the well, Celtics me, don't want to leave Larry me, Bird out. Celtics, Lakers, you know, the 80s, yeah. was that was the heyday. That was the greatest. You know, Bird, Magic, rivalry. You know, that was when the NBA was at its best. And then along came the Pistons and then the Bulls and Jordan. And I was sitting right there. I saw myself in the uh, last dance when Jordan scored 63 in his second year in a, play- in a first-round playoffs game against the Celtics. It was the most amazing performance I've ever seen by anybody. But, you know, they, they got swept. You know, Bird and Celtics swept them. So... Those were the glory days. I'm with you. Not only does it feel like a three-point shooting contest where you know everyone makes the playoffs and that kind of thing, and but I'm telling you, back to the you know the story of the day, back to the you know the woke culture. The NBA is the wokest league, and you got guys like you know LeBron and Steve Kerr and and Popovich who just hate Trump, and you know these are guys that will you know uh, uh, LeBron said that the police were hunting him uh, hunting 
black men when they leave their houses. Yeah, a deeply irresponsible thing to say, a reckless. It's just idiotic thing. And that, you know, that doesn't help. I think there are a lot of people that that say, screw him, especially when they know LeBron is afraid to criticize China. At the same time, it was the same day, I believe, but the same day that he ripped um, uh, the uh, Drew Brees, same day he ripped Drew Brees and anyone that criticized Kaepernick. That's the day that China outlawed any criticism of their anthem Uh, and and not a word from LeBron, not a word. Yeah. All right, everybody. Jerry Callahan, the man himself. You heard him. Check him out. His podcast, The Jerry Callahan Show. And uh, Jerry, great to have uh, some Boston flavor in the show, my friend. Thanks so much for uh, for showing up. We appreciate it. Good to be with you, Buck. Thanks for uh, having me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. CrossFit looks like it is now canceled. I saw this one popping on social media, which is where so much of this now happens. Uh, You will recall that there was a big backlash against uh, against the one of the primary stakeholders in SoulCycle, which is a very expensive stationary bike class that I will admit to having done one time in my life and it was sheer misery and I hated every second of it. Um, but that was for just supporting Trump. Somebody was in fact, yeah, they were just upset that there was a Trump supporter that was a large owner. And now you have a whole bunch of problems with CrossFit Reebok. This was today. Reebok has ended, um, uh, Reebok has ended partnership with CrossFit. Remember, CrossFit we think of as a style of workout, but it also is a, is a company and a brand. Um, here we go. After CrossFit CEO Greg Glassman made an insensitive remark about George Floyd on Twitter yesterday, Reebok has ended its partnership, um, and there's other people that are pulling out. Everyone's all really upset. And here, here's what I think is so interesting about this. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, that was the outfit at Washington University that put out the the numbers that we were all supposed to believe on how bad things were going to get with COVID-19 and how if you didn't listen to them, huge numbers of people were going to die and all this stuff. Right. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, um, which was completely wrong and, and really catastrophically wrong in its predictions about how many people are going to die and everything else from COVID-19 is clearly politicized, folks, because they've come out with a statement. Remember, they were pushing, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die from COVID-19. Hide under your bed. That was the IHME modeling that was used, and that's what happened. And then we have these massive protests all over. We're told that social distancing is so necessary because otherwise you're going to spread the disease everywhere. That's what they tell us, even outside, even outdoors. And the IHME put out a tweet on June 4th. Racism and discrimination are critical public health issues that demand an urgent response wherever they occur. Racism is a public health issue. Oh, I'm sorry. Have a hundred have a hundred thousand people died from racism in the last 90 days. If so, please explain how. And please explain what we're supposed to do about this. Once you've explained how, which is, I think, the first major hurdle that no one can do, then explain how we're supposed to fix that. Oh, no, that's right. Race. These people are so brainwashed. The left is so insane that even their health experts are saying, well, I mean, there's a pandemic that's we told you killing so many people that we have to take away all of your rights and lock you in your homes. But if people want to fight against racism, that's okay. 
Then you can go out, mix in the public uh, sphere, you know, cough on each other, everything. That's fine. More important, more important. These, they, I, I will never trust these public health frauds again, and I haven't trusted them in weeks anyway. But this is spitting in the faces of every person who has lost a job because of the lockdown, who could not go to a funeral because of the lockdown, spitting in their faces of all the kids that haven't been able to go to school, aren't going to school, can't go to camp all summer because of social distancing. But fighting racism is so important. That's what they say. Important enough that people should die. They are telling you that that anti-racism protests that are really just about mobilization of the left against Trump, as we know, but anti-quote anti-racism protests are important enough that huge numbers of people should be risking their lives based on what they were telling us even weeks ago about the lethality and virality of COVID-19. Now, Greg Glassman, the CEO of CrossFit, responded to the IHME uh, here. It's it's Floyd 19. And they're all and and they're oh, so racist. Okay, now. You could say that that's insensitive, uh, certainly to the George Floyd family. And this guy died, was killed by a cop. But the point that I think he was trying to get at here is not really about George Floyd or about it's just about how the IHME, which put out a hashtag Black Lives Matter tweet and, and is being used for the numbers to justify all the covid policy thinks we're all morons and that we should forget about what we've been told for months and the pain and the suffering that the entire country has suffered through because of their numbers. They were the primary source for metrics funded by Bill Gates. Folks, I'm sorry. This is unacceptable. I'm not going to let this go. They have been so dishonest. This whole thing was such a scam. They are such frauds. Oh, yeah. Now social distancing doesn't matter because of the of the protests. Are you kidding me? Remember, protests to go to your job or to keep your livelihood up and running or to have basic day to day rights of movement and speech. And remember, protests weren't allowed before. That's not allowed. You can't protest in favor of that. But protesting in favor of ending racism. We have already we've already had a Black Lives Matter movement. What did it make better? How did it improve minority communities? We've already been, we've been through this. They burned down neighborhoods. There were riots. They did this in St. Louis. They did this in Baltimore. They did this in other places. There were huge Black Lives Matter protests through New York City. What was better afterwards? What changed? What improved? Nothing. But nothing, if you're a leftist, if you're a Democrat, is worth now risking lives and risking your professional credibility and reputation in order to support the agenda of Pelosi and Schumer. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's almost roll call time, but first I just want to say, hold your wild stallions, everybody, because we got some news for you. And I had no idea when I brought this up yesterday on the show that this, I swear, this is just, it's something, there was some synchronicity here. There was, uh, it was fate. Because while I'm, while I'm giving producer Mark a hard time for being a young whippersnapper millennial, unlike a, a gray-bearded, gravitas-full uh, millennial like myself, because we are technically both millennials, which I like to remind him of, but I'm the old man millennial, the, the grouchy, well, he's grouchy, but I'm the old man millennial with the gray beard, and he's a young millennial. He has not seen some of the true classics of 
really the what's the generation below Gen Y, right? The Gen Y classics. And that included Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And now, in case he needed any more reason to see it, they are coming out with a third Bill and Ted movie. Here is some of excellent. Here's some of the trailer. 25 years ago, you played a concert in front of the entire world. One month ago, you played in Barstow, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted, what have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. There we go. Producer Mark. Come on. Now you've got a third Bill and Ted's movie waiting for you. Now, but can I go to a movie theater and watch it? How is that going to work? I don't know. It uh, might be like a direct. Uh, like I think all movie point. theaters are going to be out of business after this. It's <laughs> a fair point. I think this might be a, a direct to, um, you know, a direct to your home kind of situation. But I'm pretty sure you could watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Or I'm sure they have it on demand or something. And, you know, and it's been 25 years. So it's amazing how old that movie is. I didn't even realize it's really the I think it is the second movie Keanu Reeves made. Have you seen see now I'm in a Keanu zone. I'm assuming you've seen all the Matrix movies because you're a civilized person, uh, sure. even though the third Matrix movie was total trash. But I'm assuming you've also seen the series with Keanu Reeves known. I'm forgetting what it's called on air. What is it called where he plays like the gun slinger? Huh? Come on. You know, what I'm talking about. Is this uh, 24? No, no, no. Oh, my gosh. Good heavens, man. That's a great series, though. Good heavens. I can't. I'm, I'm blanking on the uh, on the Keanu Reeves right now. I'm you know, I'm, my, my brothers make fun of me because I've always been partial to Keanu. Um, and, you know, he's he's a good actor. And I think he does a good job in what he does. I mean, Point Break is clearly one of the great the great classics of John Wick. There we go. You've seen John Wick, right? No. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's uh, let's add that to your list and let's also get to roll call because I'm going to stop making demands of producer Mark's time with movies. Hit it. Liberty, truth and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. All righty. It is time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, are we getting some good voicemails coming in for Friday, by the way? I want everyone to get excited about that one. Yeah, of course. They're coming in. I haven't listened to them yet, but they're coming okay. in. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Speaking of my name, BuckSexton.com, your one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. And we should actually set up a shop on there. I'll talk to the folks about that. we got to do that, too. But uh, yes, indeed. Things to talk about, things to discuss. And, uh, oh, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to send us an email. Um, for some reason, the, the, the crazy libs are coming at me on Instagram. Well, that's where I get a lot, of the, a lot of the mean messages. Less of it on Facebook, a lot more. I don't know what it is, but the really mean psychos out there seem to come at you on Instagram now. Well, I don't know I'll, what that's all. I'll enlighten what? you a little bit. Instagram uh, tends to skew a bit younger than Facebook does. Ew. That's probably why then. Although Team Buck Youth is awesome, but unfortunately they're not every. They're not all the youth. <laughs> That's for sure. Not every. Not everybody agrees with what the Buckster tells them. 
Um, let's get to it. Len, first up here. Buck, love to have you guys move to Florida. It's a state of freedom and liberty. Forget Austin. Far left yuppies, social justice idiots, and environmentalists. Whew, ouch. I don't know, KLBJ Austin. Uh, Florida's calling you out right now. Florida's calling out my, my Austin peeps. I think Austin might have to make some jokes about Florida man now. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say. All right, so you better write in from KL, KLBJ World. Anyway, I'd love to see everyone get together and start marching to protest the continued wearing of masks and closed venues of all types. Since there is no law that says you have to wear the mask everywhere and restaurant and bar owners can open and just post a sign, no masks required, patronize at your own risk. The cops can't arrest, uh, arrest everyone, and in New York, they'll let you out anyway. Um, in New York, they're saying it is an executive order. I don't know if that would really stand up in court, but I do know that right now we are told that you must you must comply with the mask face covering stuff. Uh, you do not have an option if you're a business. And yeah, that's where that's where it is. So. But yes, I would like to see ma- I'd like to see mass noncompliance for certainly outdoor face mask wearing. And I think if you're unless you're in a high risk category indoors, too, I'm just going to say it. And I don't understand the, how many cases of this virus are even out there right now that people are so worried about. There's 320 million of us. All righty. Uh, where are we now? Michael. Hey, Buck. Remember, Europe was mostly peaceful in the 1940s, and the U.S. was mostly peaceful in the first half of the 1860s. Shields high and no bended knees. Well, Michael, that's a pretty uh, intense, pretty intense political series of political comparisons you're making there, my friend. I, I don't think we're heading for the really, really, the really, really bad stuff. I'll say that. I think we'll be all right. I don't know. I like to be an optimist. I like to be an optimist. Dennis. Oh, my gosh, Buck. Don't know if I should laugh or cry over this crazy defund the police narrative. Your description of it being destructive, stupid and maniacal is absolutely spot on. So how bizarre or maybe just plain scary is it that people actually believe that it's somehow a solution to something? If they believe that it's such a good and workable idea, then here's a crazy thought for them. Why don't they just promote the idea of outlawing criminals? Makes sense that if we don't have criminals, then by all means, we don't need law enforcement. Thanks, as always, for the great show. Yeah, Dennis, this is what I say. It's like having marches to outlaw cruelty or meanness. Cruelty is bad. Racism is bad. But if you have a march to outlaw it or, or, or rather to, to just oppose it, OK, how, though? The how matters a whole lot. There is universal agreement on immoral things being or on things that are clearly immoral being bad. But if you want to take policy action... You have to describe what it is. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing this with a lot of the stuff with uh, with cops right now. You know, all major police departments are just waiting for an opportunity. Any cop that's a little a little too rough. And I don't, I don't mean anyone dying or anything terrible like that. I just mean anyone's a little too rough with a protester. The, the, they're going to take your badge they take your job and, and maybe prosecute you for that now. OK, so people are then think of the impunity with which the more violent protesters, the rioters, are able to act against law enforcement in that circumstance. Just saying, it's a bad, bad situation. Uh, bad situation. Let's see here. Jay, hey, Buck and Mark, love the show. You guys were asking for a KLBJ listener, here we go, to chime in on relocation to Austin. Don't do it. <laughs> I swear, I didn't even know this was coming up. This is pretty funny. Austin is the bluest, most liberal city in our state. 
We have self-proclaimed socialists on our city council. I wear a uniform for a public safety entity and and am employed by the city. So unfortunately, these bozos make decisions regarding my job. Wow. Jay from from uh, KLBJ Austin land. That is not a ringing endorsement. Oh, there's more. Also, the crime has increased as well as homelessness. We're just another Seattle, essentially. Texas is awesome, however. I would recommend College Station as a better city to move to. Just a couple hours south of Austin, home to Texas A&M University, land of God-fearing, gun-toting conservatives. Thanks, guys, and shields high. Hmm. How many people live in how many people live in College Station? I mean, I, I don't know. I've heard of College Station. Producer Mark, do you know anything about it? You know about you know about sports. I mean, if I had to take a guess, it'd be a college town. So there's uh, good more call. people. Well, there well, well, the- good analysis. Producer Mark. Well, I no, like I'm that. just saying there's probably it's probably a lull during the summer around Christmas time when all the students go home. Yeah. 100, about 100,000 in population. And Austin population wise. Let me see what it says here. Austin, Texas population is ooh, almost a million. It's a lot bigger. Mm. What's the uh, population of Delray Beach, Florida? <laughs> That's a good question. Let's do this. Producer Mark and Buck are thinking about where they're going to relocate. Delray Beach. By, by, by the way, if you want to do it, if you want to move the Freedom Hut down there, we're going to have that conversation. 70,000. I, I, I got nice. no problems. With I love Delray Beach. I got no problems with that. Uh, I'm trying to think of where else we have. Maybe. What is? Is San Antonio a great city? Uh, what about San Antonio? They have an 1. NBA point, team. Almost 1.5 million. You could root for the Spurs. Huh. The Admiral, David Robinson. I remember some things. That's who you remember? Yeah. Not and, the uh, dynasty. Tim Duncan. Yeah. Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Yeah, all those guys. Yeah. All those guys. The Spurs. Uh, Greg Popovich, who was busy this week crying. Greg Popovich is like, I'm so sorry for my whiteness. That's what Greg Popovich is out there saying. Oh, boy. Sad. Very sad. Um, okay, well, we'll have to think about Austin. That's, uh, that was, I was not expecting that one. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, next up here is Greg. Hey, Buck, want to just make a couple quick points. First, here in Denver, they are keeping public pools closed, most likely for the rest of the summer because they can't abide by social distancing rules while at the same time allowing mass close quarter gatherings for the protests and second the people in england vandalizing the churchill statue must not realize that there probably wouldn't be a uk today without him the insanity of all this is pushing me to the brink conservatives absolutely need to rally and put a stop to this nonsense shields high well greg uh, thanks for the update on uh, 93.7 den 93.7 fm in denver that's right. The Freedom Hut, Freedom 93.7 FM. It's a match made in heaven. And as for uh, keeping the pools closed, that's just nuts, man. They're doing it here in New York, too. They're doing it in New York. So you, you can you can mix with, you know, three or four thousand people shoulder to shoulder in the streets for six hours at a time, breathing on each other, touch, you know, bumping into each other and everything else. Uh, but you can't go for a swim in open air in a public pool. They're not going to allow that. Because of COVID, these people are completely insane, but it's very tough to get them to admit that. Michael, Buck, your Dr. Fauci impression cracks me up, but I miss your Warren Wilhelm as Angela Merkel. Can we get a little more Warren Wilhelm, Shields High from Austin? Michael Shaw, Guten Tag, yeah. But we were just told that uh, Austin is like a left-wing socialist uh, 
naughty place. So why is it, where, where are we going to move in the Texas? Angela Merkel wants to know. She does not have a good answer for you. I'm not sure yet. Producer Mark likes Delray Beach because Delray Beach has very delicious drinks as well as a beach where you can uh, lie out in the sun. No? Nine? Why not? Sounds like fun to me. I think, I think Delray Beach is maybe, maybe the spot. You're close to Palm Beach. So if you want to be fancy, you can always go there. And I hear good things about West Palm. I think Bongino is, uh, he's in Florida somewhere. I don't know where he, he's, he's somewhere down in yeah, Palm I Beach. I think area. him and Rush are down there. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, Rush is down Palm Beach. I think Bongino's Palm Beach area, too. So, you know, just saying. Those guys know what's up. Uh, Edgar. Hey, Buck, love your show. We love you, Edgar. Where can I find accurate statistics about death rates related to police actions? I would like to be able to talk intelligently about the subject using actual data. Edgar, um, death rates using police uh, about police actions. Uh, you can find the Washington Post is keeping a running running tally. I haven't looked and I haven't really spent much time diving into whether there is any uh, question about how they use those or how they pull those numbers together or anything else. But it's pretty detailed from what I understand. So the Washington Post is actually keeping a running number of, of people who are killed by law enforcement. It's a, I think it's a little under a thousand people a year killed by law enforcement in this country. But that includes people who pull a gun and start shooting at cops. Right. So that's why you, when you look at the number of people that are killed who weren't doing anything at all or who are un, or I shouldn't even say at all necessarily depends on the case, the specific case. But people who were not actively attacking cops with a lethal weapon, you get down under 100 very quickly. So, yep. Um, let's see here. That's, that's my best answer for you on that one. And Michael, it is only fitting that you bring up the Baltimore police, but the Baltimore, uh, but the, oh, sorry, the BS, whoops, had another effect that people need to be reminded of. They could, any police officer that could walked, leaving those behind with such a depleted force, it was ineffectual for quite a while and still not functioning well today, though they do the best job they can. Yeah, I am, I'm not surprised to hear this i'm not surprised at all um that well no i mean i actually knew this about baltimore but to be reminded of it i appreciate uh yeah baltimore was in very uh very bad shape for and still is in i mean you go to baltimore and it's it's pretty astounding how uh how people just accept a degree of criminality on the streets so that's that's what just what just happens um so anyway it's uh yeah that's that's what's going on there. I'm trying to pull something else up here. Here we go. Ryan writes, Buck, my wife and I returned from France uh, last year. We had our baby soon thereafter, had a variety of free hours and pockets of me time. I suppose they find the care. Uh, anyway, the Buck Saxon show has been the most edifying and entertaining piece of political perspective and necessity that has graced my early season of fatherhood. Now I'm fully dialed in. As someone that has spent extensive time overseas, your dedication to research and conviction to administering truth has been easily connecting and trustworthy. Thank you, and I look forward to the rest. Shields high. Ryan, thank you so much. Welcome to Team Buck. And uh, Ryan actually wrote in on Instagram. So I will occasionally be able to pull Instagram. Uh, but then we got Fernando who says, Buck, that beard is in, between, is in the in-between phase. Needs to be a bit longer. Patience, my friend. But the swoop always looks good. Best hair on TV, baby. Fernando, 
Again, thanks for writing in. If you all want to follow me on Instagram, I do post the occasional Tulu photo, Tulula, the French bulldog who's adorable. And I also will put uh, some political insights in my Instagram story throughout the day. So you can uh, follow me there. It's uh, just Buck Sexton on Instagram. And I'll get more nice messages there because right now I've got a lot of a lot of crazy libs coming at me on Instagram, sending me messages. I hate you and your stupid face and blah, blah, blah. Such losers. Find something to do, libs. Get a job, libs. That's going to be it for today, team. Thank you, as always, for being here. Please pass the buck. Tell somebody about the show. Back with you tomorrow. Same time and place. Shields high.